Good morning. Uh, so the band, they haven't played together in like a year or something. And like, yeah. And uh, Vivian, who's playing the drums a year ago, didn't know how to play drums. So, so if you're like, yeah, I binge watched Cobra Kai, like I did really well. It's like Vivian learned the drums. So your Cobra Kai binge does nothing. So uh, good news to celebrate with you this morning that Jesus is alive. Uh, he's been raised. He's no longer dead. Um, I'm going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I don't have the slides up for you this morning, but uh, you can listen and uh, it'd be a very simple message about Jesus and the resurrection and the hope that comes out of that resurrection. We had a, a great first service. I thought I was going to lose my voice in the first service, so we'll hope that it sticks around. Let me pray and then uh, we'll get going. Jesus, thank you that you are alive and active and here. Thank you that you love us, that you are not a far distant God, um, but you are rather um, resurrected, alive, active, moving, and you are in our presence. We are not gathered here to pat ourselves on the back because we made it out of bed on Easter morning, but rather we're gathered because you got up out of the grave on Easter morning and you are changing everything because of it. So we love you and we need you. I want to pray for those who are here that might not know you. They might think this is just absolutely wild. And the reality is at one point, none of us believed this. None of this was true in, in any one of our lives. And you brought that to, to light for us. And so I pray that you would do that for us this morning. Um, we pray this in the name of, of Jesus. Amen. So the good news that we have is that Jesus has been raised. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. And so we have so much to celebrate today, don't we? And we don't get to sing. And so some of that might be like pent up. It might come out in like claps. And when we... I uh, used to meet at the theater, Scotiabank Theater. Uh, we would say the most amazing truths. And then it, it, I would just hear, you know, the chairs rocking and Timmy bags being crumpled and played with. And I feel like there's this like pent up worship inside of the hearts of God's people that uh, was erupting in the first uh, service. So very exciting. But here's, here's what we celebrate today. We celebrate not a... a a mere point of theology. We celebrate the fact that the resurrection is bringing a restoration to all things, not just a few things, but everything. All the things you don't like, aging, right? Anti-wrinkle cream, that's a thing. Um, the, the fact that people get sick, the, the fact that we've been in isolation, the fact that there's a pandemic, the fact that people die, all that stuff, death and all her friends one day will be gone. And the resurrection started that. It's the beginning of the restoration back to the way that things should be. And so let me tell you briefly the story of the way that things should be. God, we believe in a God. We believe that there's one God and that he exists in three persons, one God. You're like, I don't, I'm already gone. Okay, just forget that and track with me here, okay? We believe in, in one God and we believe that he created everything and that he didn't create it haphazardly and just randomly, but rather he created everything for his glory to make him famous, right? And there's nothing wrong with that for him to display his excellencies through all of his creation. And he made humans and he made us in his image he didn't make raccoons in his image if you see the raccoons on my balcony they're definitely not in the image of God or no God that I want to worship he did not make trees in his image he did not make oxygen in his image he made humanity in his image that we would be representatives to his creation on his behalf 
And we were made to be in relationship with him. We were made to be in relationship with God. That as God created all things, he created this paradise, this garden. When we think of garden, sometimes we think about beets or turnips. And the, the, the garden that God created wasn't that. Though some of you might love a cucumber garden with, with the Lord. But it was like, more like Hawaii. Think about paradise. That God was existing with his people in that place. And he put two trees in the middle of their living room and said, this tree is a tree of life and this is a tree that if you eat of this tree, you're going to die. And one day, as they were existing, our first parents were existing in this paradise, uh, there, was, there was another reporter who, who came onto the scene with, with new, a new reality, an alternative reality and fake news. And he spoke to these humans and said, no, 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 God, God doesn't want you not to eat of this. God wants you to eat of this. And, and the reason why God has put this restriction is that he knows that the day that you eat of the fruit of this tree, you're, you're going to be just like him. And so they, they reasoned out, yes, let's go ahead and disobey God so that we can be like God. But they were already like God. And so the day they ate of the fruit of that tree, death then came into the picture that we brought sin And sin brought death. That the wages of sin, the paycheck for sin, what you get paid at the end of the day is death. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. He said, for since death came through a man, our first parents, Adam, Eve, death came through them. That sin has not ever stopped. It's a problem that goes generation after generation after generation. And it says in verse 22, for just as in Adam all die. This is our hope. This is our future. You're born to die. And you hope that in between there, you can figure out some stuff and live a really good life. And so the now for us is that it's like we're in this blind search for meaning, on this blind search for purpose and and value, and a God to worship, a God that we can put all of our allegiance and sacrifice behind and that will be worthy of all of that we can give. Because the reality is that we're all worshipers. You might worship your kids, they're a bad God by the way. Um, You might worship money, you might worship approval, you might worship comfort, you might worship control, you might worship a position. We're all worshipers, we're all worshipers. But what is it that you worship? And because of that sin, our, our worship has become bent. Instead of being focused on the true and living God, our worship becomes bent on created things. And so because of that forever, we are supposed to be separated from the one that we were made for and made by. That, that's supposed to be our future because of that rebellion, separated from the one you were made for and made by. But this is the good news. This is where Easter says, no, nah, no, no, I'm, I'm going to step into this because when Jesus rises, all possibilities change because death has now been defeated. Death and all her friends don't get the final word. Sin has been removed as Jesus hung on the cross. He cried out three words as he gave his spirit to his father. He said, it is finished. There's no more. It's all done. And when Jesus gets up out of the grave, he's he's showing us that this is our future. This is our reality. This is what we're going to walk in. Not some spirit hovering on the clouds type of thing, but a trans-physical body that we will have. One that can be touched and felt, but one that can walk through walls. 
right? One that can enjoy eternity, that the body that Jesus inhabits is one that will never taste death ever again. And if you are in Jesus, so will you be like him. This is our good news. And so all who follow resurrected Jesus are the following. I'm just going to overwhelm you with good news this morning. And then I'm going to talk about, well, what happens if the resurrection didn't take place? And then we're going to end worshiping Jesus. So this is who you are. If you are a follower of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, this is who you are. First, you've been found. You've been found. Not found out. He already knew how bad you are. Like, you don't even know how bad you are. Jesus knows how bad you are, and and he loves you anyway, right? He found you. He is pursuing you. God is not this God sitting back in the corner, back there in the back somewhere, hoping that you might say hi to him on your way out. He is a God that is pursuing you, Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians um, 8 and 9. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, Jesus also appeared to me. For I am the least of all the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Let me tell you about Paul real quick. Paul, formerly known as Saul, was a Christian killer. He was a Jew of Jews, like he was the best he knew his, his Old Testament, which was the Hebrew scriptures. He knew that really well. He memorized a significant part of that. He was a teacher of the law. He was well-respected and, and an up-and-comer in the Jewish faith. And he meets Jesus one day, the resurrected Jesus. Jesus comes back and, and kind of roughs Paul up a little bit. And Paul comes to understand who Jesus is because Jesus pursued Paul. Jesus went after a guy who was killing Christians. Jesus said, I want you. I want you. That if you are in Christ, you have been found. And if you don't yet know Jesus as your rescuer, trust me, he's pursuing you. He's pursuing you. He's a pursuing God. And he has what is best in mind. And you might say, I have not lived uh, what I would call the best life. And not because of things that you've done or haven't done, but because of things that have been done to you or around you. You look at a pandemic and you're like, this is as good as it gets. Like, this is the best. And yet, if we could, like, come out of time and see the bigger picture, kind of like in a movie, where you can fast forward in a movie to find out what happens and be like, okay, I know what happens. I'll go back and watch the rest. Uh, Sometimes when I'm reading a fiction book, I'll read the last chapter. I'm like, that ends good and go back and actually invest the time in the book. But if you could come out of time like that, And see all the things. You could see what God is doing in your life right now to lead you into what is best. But you can't see that, can you? So you have to live a life of faith and trust that when he says he is doing what is best for you, he actually is. But you have been found. Intentionally found. But not only have you been found, you've been found to be forgiven. And you've been forgiven from the penalty of sin. Listen to what Paul says in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. I passed on to you as most important. He doesn't say that often. Most important. I passed on to you what's most important, what I also received. And here it is. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And so if you have acknowledged Jesus as your rescuer and you're a follower of him, you have been forgiven. You can't pull up any of your stuff and be like, yeah, but God, have you forgiven me of that? Well, what about that? And what about that? And what about that? Forgiven. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Even the things that you still accuse yourself over, 
Christ doesn't accuse you of these things. You are forgiven and there's no one too bad. I don't know all of you, but there's no one too bad to receive forgiveness. And we want that, don't we? We want to be reconciled. We want forgiveness. But not only have we been found and forgiven, we've been freed. We've been freed from the power of sin, that you are no longer a slave to sin. If you are in Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin. You no longer have to do those things. You no longer have to walk in rebellion. You no no longer have to walk in the lust that you once gave yourself over to. Well, I'm just human. That's all I am. No, you've been freed because of Christ's blood to be the new creation showing a world that doesn't know anything about who God is and what he's done. You are not just human. These are not just natural. You are now remade and being remade so that you can be freed. You're freed. Next, we're formed. We're formed. That God takes us as we are, but doesn't leave us that way. We're received because of what Jesus has done, but we're not left that way. We're formed to be more and more and more like Jesus. Listen to what Paul says about this in verse 47 to 49. The first man, Adam, was from the earth, a man of dust, but the second man is from heaven, Jesus. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. Philippians, another book that that Paul actually uh, writes, says in Philippians 3.21 that when we see him, we will be like him. When we see Jesus face to face one day, we will be like him. We will be completely reformed, remade. But even now, we are being reformed. We are being remade. Listen to some of the things that as, as you find your life in Christ, look at what starts to come out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things are because the Spirit of God is now inside of you, working in you, not so you can be a better religious boy or girl, but so that you can be reformed to be more like Christ. You're found, forgiven, freed, formed, and you're also brought into a family. You are no longer an orphan. You're no longer sitting outside of the orphanage trying and hoping that that someone would let you in and that someone would look at the things that you've done in your life and say, yes, you are worthy to be called a child of this orphanage. No, no, no. The Father, God, has come after you. He's pursued you, remember? And he hasn't just brought you in to like sit in the other room and say, yeah, you're just a guest. No, he said, I sent my son to die in your place so that you could become a son or daughter of me. And you're unconditionally loved by the Father. Unconditionally loved. We don't know that kind of love, do we? We feel like there are limits on everyone's love. We even have books like boundaries, right? So that we're not getting beat up and abused by other people. But God's love for you is unconditional. It's not based on what you do. It's all based on him and what he does. It's unconditionally running at you. And it is a fire hydrant of love, right? When you open up a fire hydrant and that's like, have you ever tried to stand in front of a fire hydrant? It hurts. Like it's painful, If the pressure is hard enough, that is God's love toward you as a son or daughter. Not only are you found forgiven, freed, formed, family, but you're also friends. Sometimes you're like, I have to tolerate my family. 
but God makes you friends. And the type of friend that Jesus is, is one that he will never fail you and he'll never bail out on you. He'll never leave you. And, and he, he changes you and then sends you back out as his friends to tell others of a friend that will love with an unconditional love in the way that Jesus does. And then we're full. We all have these desires that we feel are unsatisfied often. I know that. Like this is, this is reality of, of the human endeavor. That we feel like we have never been satisfied. And yet when Jesus comes along and fills us with his spirit, and this isn't necessarily an immediate thing that just you feel like, yes, I feel satisfied all the time. But yet we can be full that Jesus truly satisfies all of the longings of our hearts and hearts that are restless. Uh, Augustine of Hippo said that, that our hearts being restless find rest in you and only you. Restless hearts constantly looking for how to be satisfied can find rest in Christ. So not only all those things, but the last thing is that all who follow the resurrected Jesus, this is for forever. This is never, ever going to end. Have you ever been experiencing something or a meal and you're like, I wish this would just go on forever. That's pointing to the one day when the greatest joy will truly go on forever. Trillions and trillions and trillions of years from today, you will be in the presence of God enjoying him. And he will still have more for you to explore of who he is. Right? You get, you've spent time in quarantine with people. You're like, man, I really know them well. Right? You've been in isolation. Like, I don't want to know anything more about you. And yet God is so rich. He is unfathomable. We use words like that to describe God. That you can't measure him. And so Ephesians, another book that Paul wrote in the New Testament, says that we're going to be exploring Christ for all of eternity. That you're never going to be bored with him. And if you're bored of Jesus, I would say you, you might be pursuing him incorrectly. Because if we're truly exploring who Jesus is, he's the most unboring person ever. The good news for us is that Jesus not only got up out of the grave, but Jesus is coming back to destroy death and make all things new. In verse 25, Paul writes, For he must reign until he, until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. One day Jesus is going to come back and death and all her friends, they're going to be in a cup. And Isaiah 25 says, that God is going to raise this cup up and we're all going to be there. All those who are followers of Jesus, we're all going to be there. We're going to look at this cup of death and God is going to drink it and slam the cup down and it will be an eternal party where death is no more. There will be nothing. We won't remember death anymore. We won't remember what it feels like to, to die or to experience the effects that go along with death. One day this great pandemic that sin has brought in is going to be over. But here's the thing. That's our good news. Here's the thing. Our celebration and our hope are fully dependent on the resurrection. Everything we believe is dependent on the resurrection. Listen to what Timothy Keller says. The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like Jesus' teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. It's not, mm, was Jesus a good teacher? Was Jesus, Oprah, that podcast guy, like, I don't know, which, where did they fall? No, no, it has nothing to do with that. It's did he get up out of the grave? Because there's no Christianity without a resurrection. 
Let's just be really clear on that. There's no Christianity without a resurrection. There are different branches that call themselves Christianity that they're just not Christian. Because a, a few hundred years ago, um, a, a Christian group came up with the idea that, well, they didn't come up with this idea, but they said, man, people don't believe in the resurrection. How do we get people to like still fill our buildings like this? And, um, and how do we like remove some of the things that they don't like so that we can keep buildings full and heated and keep the church going? And they said, well, let's just remove the resurrection because that's a hindrance. And they said, let's talk about the resurrection like, you know, winter. I, I hate winter. Just confession. I hate winter. And it's like, it's like coming out of winter into spring. You know, it's like a resurrection season. And that's kind of what Jesus did. But let's not make it about the real physical bodily resurrection. And I would just say, that's not Christianity. You took it out. You can't. There's no like, mm, I feel so nice when I talk about the spiritual resurrection. No, it's not that. It's that Jesus physically got up out of the grave on that Sunday morning, somehow and for some reason neatly folded his face cloth and put that down and then walked up out of the tomb and started meeting people one after another. Without the resurrection, everything falls apart. Christianity is not a collection of morals, ethics, and fables. It's a ruling and reigning Christ who's taking over this world with his love, compassion, and justice. And it all flows out of his resurrection. So without resurrection, everything breaks down. It's like a politician that's like, when I'm mayor or when I'm prime minister or when I'm governor or when I'm whatever, it's like, man, I love your promises, but let's wait and see after the election. And most likely those won't come true either. It's like they put those down as soon as they win. But let's just see what will come true. And so it, Christianity without a resurrection is kind of like a politician that makes all these promises but loses. Without resurrection, everything breaks down. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to stay in 1 Corinthians 15, so I'm not going to keep saying that because I keep saying it a lot, right? Verse 13 and 14. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, this is a colossal waste of time. Like, let's just own that. It's a huge waste of time. And let's just make Easter about kids and bunnies. And let me talk about Peppa Pig. I have watched so much Peppa Pig that, like, I could, I could tell you every episode. Like, no joke. And um, what's the other one? Paw Patrol. Like, I, I can own Paw Patrol. Um, but, like, let's talk about Star Wars or let's talk about uh, Marvel heroes. Let's talk about something like that. Like, let's do that because... If Christ hasn't risen, this is silly. This is really dumb. In verse 15, Paul says, Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God. False witnesses about God. Because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. So Paul is saying um, that we've been misrepresenting who God is. Now, now listen, okay? Paul was a devoted Jewish man. He did not want to misrepresent God. He was killing Christians so that Christians would not misrepresent God. And now what is Paul doing? He's saying Christ is the Messiah. Jesus is the one that our faith has been waiting for. Right? Paul had nothing to gain by saying this. He was already on the uppity up of Jewish people and was going to be some sort of massive leader. And he says, I'm losing all that. I count that as garbage because I want Christ. Christ. 
You can have all that stuff. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Paul says. He has nothing to, to gain by claiming that Christ has risen from the dead. In fact, he went from up here to being what he calls himself, I, I, I'm the scum of the earth. Everyone thinks I'm the scum of the earth. If there's no resurrection, listen to what else in verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. If, if there's no resurrection, then listen, let's be frank. Jesus is a liar. Jesus is a liar. Because he said that he was going to raise from the dead, not in like the neat spiritual liberal Christianity kind of way, but in the like, I'm going to get up out of the tomb and restore everything kind of way. And if Jesus did not raise from the dead, then you are still in your sins and you're not forgiven. And you and I need to like bust down to Indigo or sign up for classes at McGill or Concordia to try and figure out what's our new self-salvation plan. Right? We need to spend more time in the self-help book. Because if Jesus hasn't risen, we need to figure this out. Verse 18. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If Christ hasn't risen from the dead, all the funerals that we've done and, and talked about this person being in the presence of Jesus, that's a lie. There's, there's no hope. There's no hope. Do, do you feel the hopelessness of this? Right? And in fact, we, shouldn't, we should fear death at, and, and, and protect ourselves at all costs because we don't know what our future is actually going to be. And then let me end with this. Verse 19. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. If you believe in Jesus and the resurrection and it didn't actually happen, people should feel bad for you. Right? Christians are, are hated in different places, but people should just feel bad for them. It's like, oh, so sorry that you're a Christian. Like, I feel so bad for you. So bad for you to believe in this thing that never actually happened. And if there's no resurrection, then we should do what it says in verse 32. Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Let's just go and figure out how to live the most hedonistic life we can possibly have based on whatever principle we want and just go live it up because we don't know when we are going to die. Now, even if you're hearing all this and you're like, listen, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus, but I'm having a really hard time believing in the resurrection. Why? Well, because people don't believe in resurrections, right? I've, I've done several funerals, and um, I'm just letting you know, I've never wanted to have one of those bodies sit up at the funeral, by the way. Um, I, I'm like, man, it would be great if this person came back to life, like, early on. But in that time, it's, like, very strange, very strange. <clears throat> um, but resurrections just aren't normal. Listen to what David Hume says. A miracle is a violation of the laws of nature. David Hume is not a follower, wasn't a follower of Jesus that we know about. But a miracle is a violation of the laws of nature. But here's the thing. Laws don't prevent intervention. Laws don't prevent intervention. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says brilliantly. If this week I put a thousand pounds, this isn't a weight loss thing, this is money, okay? This week if I put a thousand pounds in the drawer of my desk, add two thousand next week and another thousand the week thereafter... The laws of arithmetic allow me to predict that the next time I come to my drawer, I shall find 4,000 pounds. But suppose when I next open the drawer, I find only 1,000 pounds. What should I conclude? That the laws of arithmetic have been broken? Certainly not. I might more reasonably conclude that some thief 
has broken the laws of the state and stolen the 3,000 pounds out of my drawer. One thing it would be ludicrous to claim is that the laws of arithmetic make it impossible to believe in the existence of such a thief or the possibility of an intervention. On the contrary, it is the normal workings of those laws that have exposed the existence and activity of that thief. God created everything with laws that are going to be followed until God intervenes. And this is what God does. Death, 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 resurrection. Why? Because God said Jesus did nothing wrong. He never sinned. He didn't have to die. He died for us. And, and now he's going to be raised and I'm intervening against the law that's always been in place. And resurrection wasn't done in a silo. It was done in the presence of many people. Historians agree that there was an empty tomb. They don't necessarily agree on whether Jesus resurrected or not. But the reality is, is that many saw Jesus. Many people saw Jesus recorded. Listen to this. Peter Williams put this together. He said, the resurrected Jesus is recorded as appearing in Judea and Galilee, in town and countryside, indoors and outdoors, in the morning and the evening, by prior appointment, without prior appointment, close and distant, on a hill and by a lake, to groups of men and groups of women, to individuals and groups of up to 500, sitting, standing, walking, eating, and always talking. Many are explicitly close-up encounters involving conversations. It is hard to imagine this pattern of appearances recorded in the Gospels and early Christian letters without there having been multiple individuals who claimed to have seen Jesus risen from the dead. Jesus didn't say, like, I'm going to rise and then I'm going to be in the janitor's closet and if you want to come see me, come see me and then you can go out. No, no, no. He was moving and active, letting people touch him. He's like, go ahead, touch, touch my scars where the nails were, right? Even the doubters, doubting Thomas. We know him because he doubted, right? Poor Thomas. But the reality is that, like, I, w- I would want to put my hands there too. I would want to know that you were, you were real, legit, alive. The reality is that many people saw Jesus and some of the greatest evidence, some of the greatest evidence for resurrection is changed lives. Changed lives. So Peter, Peter was a follower of Jesus, but he had this thing that went down uh, the night that Jesus was betrayed and sent to be crucified. Peter had this little servant girl I don't know how old she was, young. She came and she said, hey, weren't you with, weren't you with Jesus? And he denied, he denied Jesus. And he denied Jesus three times, like scared of a little girl. And then after Jesus rises from the dead, and, and after Jesus sends his spirit, Peter's like a whole new man. It's like he's completely different. And he, instead of being scared, he stands up to preach to thousands of people that this Jesus is alive and active. And this, this Messiah that we've been waiting for, he has come. It's Jesus. There's salvation and rescue in no other name except Jesus. And if I'm Peter, I'm thinking, this is my first and last sermon I'm ever preaching. Like, these guys are going to rush on me and kill me, and I'm going to be back with Jesus in a minute. But instead, that day, 3,000 people were added to the church. They believed in Jesus. Peter's changed life. It's like, what happened to you? What happened to you? Well, the Spirit of God upon Peter changed him. Paul, Paul was a Christian killer. And then he became an apostle that ended up literally losing his head for Jesus. Paul's life was changed, moved from Jewish man 
no Messiah, Jesus, to Jewish man with my Messiah being King Jesus. And Jesus is still changing lives today. The resurrected Jesus is still at work today. Now, I could have asked a whole host of you to come share your story, but I'm going to ask Sandra to come up and share how Jesus intervened, the resurrected Jesus intervened in her life and showed himself to be who he is. Yeah, um, I love Easter because these events, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, they really have uh, changed my entire life. Um, and so I, I grew up in a family where my grandparents were Christians. Um, my parents were not Christians, but they sent us to a Christian school. So I had a lot of Christian influence growing up. Um, but I often felt kind of skeptical of Christianity growing up. I often felt like I could stand in a worship service and read the lyrics on the projector and just feel like this is too crazy to be true. I don't, I don't know if I can believe this. Um, and that, a lot of that changed for me when I moved to Montreal. I was 18 years old. I came to go to McGill University. Um, my family lived in Vancouver, so I moved across the country, and I didn't know anyone here at the time. Um, so I felt like a loss of identity in that. Um, and then I also just, I was starting school, and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, and I had a lot of questions about that, about, like, what is worth pursuing? What is good? What is, like, what is my purpose here? Um, and questions like, like, what is success? Like, what, I want to accomplish something, but, like, at what point can I look back and feel like I've accomplished what I want? Um, and the worldview I had, the way I had of looking at the world, um, just, I felt like I couldn't answer those questions. And they felt like basic questions that I just had no answers to. So, um, so that bothered me. And I, in the middle of all of that, a friend of mine invited me to a Bible study. And I'd never been to one before. But I went with her, um, mostly to be a good friend. And it was at that Bible study that I feel like I first like, heard the gospel, which I'd probably heard before, but it pierced me in a way that it never had before. Um, and I, I remember hearing like, this message that Dwight's talking about of, of a God who created this universe, who's like, behind this entire universe, but he's a God that, that loves us, that pursues us, that accepts us, regardless of who we are and what we've done. Um, and I thought that it's beautiful, and I want that to be true. Um, but I still had a lot of the same skepticism, the same questions um, that it always had. So I spent about a year, year and a half, just like in conversation with people and reading and watching YouTube, just trying to figure out, is this true? Like, can I trust this to be true? And as I was doing that, I even remember um, like getting to know more and more Christians and seeing people who were who were passionate about their faith, who, who loved God, who were committed to him, who were confident in him, and thinking, well, that will never be me. I'm just, my brain is not wired to be like that. I'm, I'm too skeptical to be that confident, or I'm too reserved to be that passionate about God. It's not me. Um, but I want to know if this is true anyways, and maybe I'll be a Christian, that kind of thing. So I remember thinking that. Um, and as I was studying it, I started to realize, like, this is very reasonable. Like, I have every reason to believe in this. Um, to me, it was the worldview that made the most sense of everything. But um, even then, I, f I would find some days I was confident in it, and some days I just felt like that same sense of this is just too crazy. Um, and I heard someone say around that time, um, speaking out of the Gospel of Mark, of a father who brings his child to Jesus and says, can you heal him? And Jesus says, can I? Like, don't you believe? 
And the father says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And I, it made me realize that I could ask God for faith itself. Like I, I had been trying to figure all of this out on my own. I'd been trying to like understand if he was real. Um, and then I'd be able to go to him. But I realized I can bring him into that journey. And if he's real, then he can help me have faith in him. Um, so that became my prayer. Those were my first prayers to God was just, if you're real, help my unbelief. Help me to actually believe in you. And it's, to me, one of the most miraculous changes um, that I've seen in my life is the faith that God has given me in him, that I'm more confident that he is real and that he is good than I am in anything else. And I think that I, I just never, looking like 10 years ago, I would have thought that that was impossible. Um, so I'm, I really believe that is a gift of the Holy Spirit to me. And then beyond that, um, one of the other things I distinctly remember as I started to encounter Jesus was um, a sense of peace that I'd never known before. And I think one of the best ways I can describe that is, I mean, I, I wear contacts. Um, when I was like 12 years old, I got glasses, and I remember putting on the glasses and realizing that the whole time I'd been seeing the world a little bit blurry and like just how sharp everything suddenly looked. And I think, like, to me, meeting Jesus, it was like I suddenly realized I'd been living with, like, an unease or a latent kind of anxiety that I didn't even know was there. I just thought that's the way things are. Um, and knowing Jesus brought this incredible peace where I might still experience anxiety and I might still experience sadness or whatever it is, but there's this underlying peace that comes at, like, the base of everything. Um, and so that was, that was about 10 years ago. Um, so it's been a little while. There's so much more that Jesus has done over the past 10 years. Um, one of the things I've been thinking about recently is the, the, I think one of the things that Jesus has been changing in me recently is kind of the grasp that um, other people's opinions have over me, and he's been loosening that over time. Um, I was, like, this was a real thing for me, especially when I became a Christian and working through the differences between me and my family because of the decision I made to follow Jesus and some of the decisions that come out of that and knowing that they disagreed or they um, felt like they didn't understand it um, and kind of having to accept that and choose, like, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus even when, even when my family disagrees with this. Um, so having to wrestle through that was difficult, and it forced me to kind of loosen the grasp that people's opinions had always had on me, because I had always been kind of driven by that, and um, yeah, to had that as a key factor in my decisions. But um, I was thinking recently about a situation that happened. Um, I was talking to God about it, and it was someone, a family member, who um, had said something hurtful, and I felt like they think this about me, and it's a negative thing, and I always want to have people think positively of me, so it was bothering me a lot, and I was talking to God about it, and I had this sense of, like, I can just release this to God. I don't need to correct them. I don't need to manage my reputation. I don't need to fight for this. I can release that and rest in the affirmation of God, and I experienced such a fullness in that affirmation, and I share this last part especially because I want all of you to know that like, God's not done with you, that God is still in the business of changing your life, um, regardless of how long you've been a Christian or if you are a Christian at all, that he wants to do that for you, and that one of the things the resurrection tells us is that if, if he can raise the dead to life and if he, he can change me, then he can change anything in your life. Thank you.
So good. So good. Um, <clears throat> one of the things about people who are followers of Jesus is that at one point or another, usually at the beginning of when they begin following him, is that they have to come to understanding that I am losing everything. Like I'm losing all those things for him. Like I'm saying no to everything else as preeminent in my life because I just want Jesus. I just want him. I remember it was um, 2003. I was sitting in my apartment all by myself and I grew up in a Christian family. I knew all the things about Christianity, but they were all a bit um, crazy to me little bit crazy um, but I was respectful of it but 2003 it was like Jesus broke into my life and and it felt like that like I didn't ask him to be there he he pursued me and and I had this decision to make am I willing to let go of everything that I've been pursuing to pursue him or will I give up him to, to pursue everything else? And I remember praying this, Jesus, you seem, everything I know about you, you seem so marvelous. You seem so incredible, so amazing. I remember all the things I said. But you seem so like this, that if you're real, if you're real, I want in. I want in. I want to believe that you died for me and that you rose. But if you're not real, then I'm talking to myself and tomorrow morning I'll wake up and this will all be a funny episode. I probably won't share with anyone. It was like at that moment, someone took my heart, took it out and gave me a new heart. All of a sudden, I love people. I, I talk about that moment being maybe the first time I actually really, really love people for the first time. I just looked at the world of who can I use for my benefit. Now, I, I wanted to know who can I tell about this Jesus that breaks in and changes lives. This is what happens when you become a follower of Jesus. You find everything in Christ and, and you're willing to walk away from anything else that he doesn't want you to be involved in. Because it's not just our minds. It's not just a rational decision that we make and we say, yes, I intellectually assent to that. But it's our commitments and our self-image that Sandra spoke about. That I know that people are going to think this way about me, but that's okay. Because here's what Christ thinks about me. And he got up out of the grave to be able to tell me that. That when you're a follower of Jesus, Christ is all. Christ is all. And when he's not all in your life, you turn back to him. Right? That's what repentance is. But if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here this morning, what stops you from following him? What stops you from allowing him to be the preeminent one, the supreme one, the forgiver, the, the, the carer and shepherd of your soul? What stops you from doing that? And put that in your mind and, and, and begin to weigh out, is Jesus better than this? And you can pray something like I prayed. Jesus, if you're real, I want in. Would you help convince me that this is all true and I want in and, and I want to follow you? What do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? And if he's real, then he's going to come in and he's going to change your life. He's going to change your commitments. He's going to change your heart. He's going to change your desires. And ultimately, he's going to change you to be just like him. Don't search for the living among the dead. He is alive. He is alive. Let me end with this and then I'll invite the, the band to come back up. And, and by the way, uh, sound team, you've done a fantastic job on a very form. <laughs> Amazing. Um, let, me, let me read this. 54 to 57. 
When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. And catch this, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That because Jesus has gotten up out of the grave, there's victory over sin, there's victory over Satan, there's victory over death, there's victory over hell, and everything is ours in Christ. You have been found, you've been forgiven, you've been freed, you're being formed, you've been made family, you're friends, you'll be filled, and this will be forever. There's no stop to this. So Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are a good God. Thank you that you are pursuing us. Thank you that you got up out of the grave and that nothing has been the same since. You've been restoring things. You've been restoring relationships, one with, with us to, to the Father, um, but, but relationships to one another as well. I want to pray for anyone who's here that doesn't know you, that this morning they would bend their knee in faith and say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Would you come into my life and would you change me? And would you speak to them saying, you, you're going to be changed. And they would have that security of knowing that you are a God that's never going to bail them. And I pray for us who have been followers of you, who have made Christianity about something else, about coming to a gathering, about singing or not singing, about whatever we've made it about. Would we return back to what this is about? This is about you, Jesus, resurrecting from the dead. So we love you. Would you please help us to celebrate well this morning? We need you, Jesus. Amen.